So welcome to the Readings Podcast. I'm Chris Gordon. I work in events and programming at Readings. And today I'm speaking with Felicity Art McLean about her new book, The Van Apfel Girls Are Gone. Have I said that right? You said that beautifully. Oh, welcome to the Readings Podcast. It's such a treat to have you. Thank you for having me in today. Oh, thank you. I want to talk a little bit about your book, but I also want to speak to you about some of the themes that comes up in it. Let's tell our listeners what your book is about. It's about Tika Malloy. She's 11 and one-sixth of years old during the long, hot Australian summer of 1992. Uh, that summer where the Van Apfel sisters, Ruth, Hannah and the beautiful Cordelia, mysteriously disappear. Did they run away from their harsh parents or were they taken? Uh, while the search for the girls united the small community that they live in, the mystery of their disappearance has never been solved and Tika and her older sister Lara have been haunted ever since by the loss of their friends and their playmates. Now years later Tika has returned home to try and make sense of that strange moment in time. People have described this as part mystery, part darkly comic coming of age story. Uh, I will say as one who's read this novel twice it is very warm and there is something uh, quintessentially Australian about it in the sense that it evokes a period of time. I can see that how these houses would look. I can see, if you can imagine, listeners, those sort of houses where there's no fences and you go into a court and the lawns go all the way up to the footpath and the letterboxes are sort of standing there up watching everything and you can see the kids walking past and you can see the people mowing the lawns and in a sense it's almost like the Truman Show in kind of (laughs) an an image if you like when you look back is that the type of atmosphere that you are trying to create something that is almost surreally known to everyone Yes, very much so. I'm glad you got that from reading it twice. Thank you for reading it twice. What a treat. What a commitment. Um, But yes, those, I love those sort of quintessentially Australian spaces where, you know, you're in a, a small town, whether it's rural or suburban, and everything's laid out so neatly. You've got your roads and your schools and your houses and you walk through somebody's house and into the backyard and there's no back fence and suddenly you're just in scrub, like mm. proper, thick mm. scrub. And I feel like so many of our spaces are on the edge, on the verge, those liminal places where, you know, it, this was suburbia and now suddenly you're in the middle of the bush. Yeah. I love that about Australia. And it is unique in a way to Australia, or I guess some parts of America, but it feels very much like something that we're familiar with, that we've grown up with. And that sort of the bush is so unknown to us still. Mm. I think this trope of missing children has hung around for such a long time because it still has an impact, doesn't it? It does. Well, there was a story many, many years ago, I mean, hundreds of years ago, about a boy that went missing in the bush, you know, and the mystery's never been solved. And ever since then, it seems that Australians are obsessed Mm. with this notion that people can simply disappear in a bush. Uh, I'm not going to give anything away, but in a sense, that's what what appears to have happened in your novel. 
three beautiful young women, young kids, have disappeared, but there's some conspiracy theories around why they may have. And this is where I think, Felicity, that you've just had tremendous fun. <laughs> I did. I did have this a lot of fun humor, with this. isn't it? Like yes. this is the small town gossip mongers yes. going for it. Yeah, and as fast as I tried to create a sort of spooky, spine-tingling, <laughs> you know, a real picnic at Hanging Rock type story, this humour crept in um, Maybe that's just my inability to take things seriously. But yes, this was suddenly it was a neighbourhood where you've got Mrs. McCausley on the corner, who is our local Tupperware salesperson. And Mrs. McCausley uh, uses her job selling Tupperware basically to get into everybody's lounge rooms to find out the latest gossip. She's a very good source of gossip, not always reliable. I'm, I'm enjoying her straight off. I would be friends with someone like that. I'd be getting my lettuce spinner and I would be... You'd be friends with Mrs. Oh, McCausley yeah. on the corner. Yeah, she'd, she'd always have something to tell you, she always would. have something to say. Um, but yes, and there's Mrs. Lantana from the school who's running the vigil for the missing girls because she's used to being in charge of things like the canteen roster and the uniform shop. So there, there were these you know, small town characters already popping into the story. There are. Is this the sort of town that you grew up in? It is and it isn't. So, I mean, it's completely fictional, the story, but it is set – I grew up in a suburb in Sydney um, and it was a bush suburb, so very much one of those suburbs where we, you know, we did play in the bush and we did build cubbies and go down to the river and all that sort of stuff. So, in that sense, from a geography perspective, yeah, very much so. And were you, when you were sort of growing up in this suburb, were you a reader? Were you reading books like Picnic at Hanging Rock and enjoying that kind of gothic element that Australia's bush can bring? Or All the time. Yeah. Or I was a massive reader as a kid. Um, that's how I got into writing. Reading was my doorway into writing. And I read everything sort of indiscriminately. So I loved Enid Blyton. I loved John Marsden. Uh, I loved Nancy Drew books. I loved all sorts of stuff. I would read anything. Um, so yeah, I very much got into writing through reading. Yeah, right. So this character that you've created, this wonderful warm character, Tika, this 11-year-old and one six, why did you make her 11? Why is this young... Why is the sort of the protagonist of this book, the, the narrator, why is she 11 years old? That's a good question. So 11 is kind of that murky territory where you're you're not a kid, but you're definitely not an adult. Um, and you're in, like we were talking about liminal spaces, Ticker is really that sort of in-between age where... So much of what's going on is withheld from Ticker. So there's a police investigation into the disappearance of the Van Atfel sisters and there's bits of information that aren't being shared with Ticker. Her parents are protecting her from things that are being said and from the case that's going on. But at the same time, Ticker was very good friends with the three Van Atfel sisters. Um, They lived in her street. They played together. They swam in the Van Atfel pool all the time. So Tika was really close to the action and she is holding secrets about the Van Atfell sisters and about their disappearance that the adults around her don't know. So Tika is an unreliable narrator in the sense that information about the mystery is withheld from her, but at the same time, on the flip side, she knows more than the adults around her. Well, she's privy, isn't she, in the way that 11-year-olds can be, that, that she's seen, she's been part of... The Van Apples family. She sat around the kitchen table right. with that bonkers father. <laughs> That's right, yes. 
Did you know people like that? Did you know people that were – I don't think we're giving away the plot when we say that that the uh, Van Appel girls were part of a uh, family, were very religious. Yes. So the Van Appels, um go to church across the valley. So the valley is very much the setting of the story. They go to church on the far side of the valley uh, at the Hope Revival Centre. And really I, the reason that the Van Appels are religious in this way and they, they run their household, it was very much a religious household, that was done to set them up as outsiders. So they're a little bit different because they are so evangelical. Um, and later on, Mr. Avery, a new teacher, arrives at school and he's a little bit different too. There's some questions raised about Mr. Mm. Avery. Where's Mr. Avery from? Is he around here? Could he be foreign? So Mr. Avery's set up as an outsider. Mm. And the story is very much a celebration of suburbia and small communities and these sorts of neighbourhoods that are wonderful places, except if you're an outsider. If you're a little bit different because you're religious or you've come from somewhere else or you look a bit different, these sorts of close-knit communities, which are so wonderful, can also be really tough places to be. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think that you've actually portrayed that beautifully in your book. Uh, through the eyes of this 11-year-old who is thinking the best and the worst of everyone around her. Uh, I don't know when we lose that. I don't know when we lose that vast sort of imagination that you have when you're 11, you know, where you... Yes, yes. Where everything is so true to what you're seeing and then... That's right. And Ticker is at one point, Ticker is baffled when Mrs McCausley says to her, oh, so this new teacher at school... Is he around, from around here? And Tika says, well, no, I t- just told you. He's new to the school. He's just moved here. Yes, but is he from, is he one of us? Is he from around here? Is he one of our kind? And Tika just doesn't understand the no. question. She, Mrs. McCausley is saying, what's his ethnic background? Where has he migrated from? What, who is this man? Give me the dirt. And Tika just doesn't understand. What's she driving at? Of course he's not from around here. He's just moved here. Yeah, that's right. She's so wonderfully innocent. She really is. But then, of course, she comes back to look after her sister. Her sister falls ill and she comes back and uh, it's almost like a trigger. So there are two people then, in a sense, telling this story. There's yes. the 11-year-old and then there's the 31-year-old that is telling of Tico that mm. is telling a story. So she can see herself and see how much she has lost and how much she has gained, I guess. It seems incredible to me that she just that she also just left this town like she couldn't she couldn't stay at all yes so Tika has uh, as an adult she's moved to the state she's living in Baltimore and she comes back very early on in the story she comes back to look after her sister Laura who is sick um, so she comes back to be with Laura and of course that triggers all sorts of memories for Tika she's back in the valley and with the same sights and sounds and smells. She's back with her family, back in the same cul-de-sac and all the old questions resurface again. Ticker's guilt about what happened 20 years ago, about what she did or didn't do, all these things are, are back, are resurfacing now that Ticker's back again. How long has this sort of story been in your head for Felicity? Like as, a, as you... Looking back at this eleven, the way this eleven-year-old lived, and then reflecting the contrasting and reflecting with this thirty-year-old, and how long have you had that idea, that sort of concept in your head? Do you know that came really late in the piece? Actually, yeah, right. this, the adult ticker. Uh, so 
It was initially a story without that element. It was all told through the eyes of the 11-year-old. Uh, and that adult ticker perspective only came well into the writing. Probably, I was probably halfway or even two-thirds of the way through when that came that, to the story. Because I think it's very interesting. It's not something that we see all the time and I really enjoyed the two different uh, portraits, if you like. And what about the story itself? How long have you had that in your head? Is that something that you've been living with at the back of your mind for a long time? It is. It is. So it probably took about three years all up from when I initially started writing to when the book hit shelves. Wow. Um, and it came about in a really roundabout way. I backed myself into a corner with this book. So What did you do? Tell me. What do you, what do you mean by that? I did, um, you, did you do a dare? I do. Effectively. Effectively. I'm... Yeah, You're so, actually 11. <laughs> um, yeah, with the maturity of an 11-year-old. That's how I could write Ticker from that perspective. Um, so I was invited to be part of Sydney Writers' Festival back in 2016. And at the, at the time I was working as a ghostwriter and I was on this panel for emerging writers. And the topic for the panel was all about um, creativity and place. Can you tell our listeners who was actually chairing that panel, please? Because it's too good. So this panel was being chaired by the actor Brian Brown. It's too good. At the Brian Brown He's theater. actually going to play in the he, If there was a movie made of your book, he would play it, wouldn't he? He's like committed now. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so I was at this amazing theatre on this uh, amazing panel with all these wonderful authors and I had nothing to say because, of course, I was working as a ghostwriter. I couldn't talk about my sense of place because by very definition, my place doesn't appear on the page. I can't write about myself or my place as a ghost. Um, so <laughs> I was really desperate and I was supposed to read some of my own work at this event. There's 200 people in the audience. Oh. So I had this scrap of an idea that was, you know, roughly, loosely based on the valley where I grew up. So I got up and I read this piece about the valley and how it sounded and smelt and blah, blah, blah. And I I thought I got away with it. I thought, yep, I've done this. I've, I've made it through the panel. Was it was it of the valley or was it of the suburb of the valley? So It, it was, was a bit of both, actually. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. it was a bit of both. Yeah. Um, so I survived the panel and then it was question time at the end. And, of course, who is in the front row? Tall, lanky person, first person to stand up, arm in the air. Brian Brown's got some questions. Yeah. Bless. Bless. So he wants to know, oh, what's this novel I'm writing? What's it called? What happens next? Tell me a bit more about this. And so I had to confess in front of all these people, look, Brian, I don't know. I haven't written it yet. You've heard the, the only 500 words. Um, but that was enough. That, that spurred me on. I thought if Brian Brown wants to know, then I really have to sit down and write this. And he has been so amazingly supportive. Tell me what in what way? What has he done? So, um, and remembering Brian doesn't know me from a bar of soap before this event. Mm. Afterwards, after I had written it and published it, I sent him a copy, which he read, and he wrote me this lovely note, which was so supportive. And then when we launched it a few weeks ago, um, the actress Sasha Haller launched it, and she said at the beginning of this, um, launch night oh I've got a surprise for you I can't tell you what it is so I was on tenterhooks all night thinking oh what is Sasha Hall going to produce and so at the end of the event she stuck a hand in a bra and whipped out the, as only Sasha could get away with <laughs> pulled out this note she's got a note from Brian Brown just mm. saying congratulations and I'm sorry I couldn't be there he was overseas Aww. but just so lovely 
He's so supportive of Australian writing it's and Australian fantastic. stories. Isn't that fabulous? It really is, actually. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. That's a good news story. He's a top bloke. Yeah. We don't hear that enough, do we? Yeah. In fact, we don't even get opportunities to say that very often, do we? No. Say it again. Yeah, he is a really top bloke. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Just even hearing it is a treat. Isn't it? <laughs> so, Felicity, you've been ghostwriting for years. Yeah. You're put into the corner, so to speak, because of Brian Brown's expectations. <laughs> yeah. You've gone home from this event, I imagine, and started writing, started fleshing out this concept. Yes. Because you would be so fired up, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. What about – because you've worked in publicity – before what about finding a publisher was that difficult oh do you know it wasn't it wasn't um I was very lucky in that my the my first pick of publishers and my first pick of agents I just sent the manuscript off cold um and heard back from both which was lovely so that's I've really had a bit of a dream run mm. well I think Arthur Collins has probably had a bit of a dream run too actually <laughs> <laughs> congratulations to you on Thank that you. And so now that you're going around doing the publicity for this book and you've been a publicist in the past, Mm. is it tough? Is it tougher? Which is the tougher role, the publicist or the public? Oh, publicists work very hard. (laughs) They really do. (laughs) They really do. They really do. (laughs) They do. They do. They work very, very hard. And do you know what else is strange is I sound really old talking about all these past jobs I've had. I've worked as a journalist for a long, long time as well, um, interviewing authors and I am. Ve- I find it very strange now being on the receiving end, because I keep thinking, "Oh, I know what I would ask," or "I know, I, I know what you're getting at there. I know how you're going to write that. I'm just, I'm not going to give you that answer that you're after. Um, I think you should take this angle instead." And I'm very contrived in the way I answer. I'm terrible, very terrible at answering the questions. Much more comfortable asking them than answering them. <laughs> It doesn't seem like that, but maybe I've been played. Maybe I've been played this whole entire conversation, but I don't think so. I don't know. So. It's different when you're just talking. Yeah, or oh, podcasts are easy because you can chat and forget that nobody's listening. That's right. That's yep, right. They're nice. That's right. So we've got time for a couple more questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always finish the readings podcast with this particular one, but I'm going to ask it now because I think it's going to lead on. Sure. This is the, the sort of where I put you on the spot and when we get to learn a little bit more about you. Okay. Felicity, what are you reading right now? Oh, do you know, I just finished reading The Erratics. <gasps> the Stella Prize. The Stella Prize winner by Vicky Laveau Harvey. I'm not going to pronounce that right. The Stella Prize winner for this year. It was fabulous. I read it in a day, like fabulous. just in a sitting. It's that sort of read. Yep. Um, and I also immediately before that read Asymmetry by Lisa Halliday. Such a good book. I didn't know anything about it before I picked it up. Really good. So the first half is uh, a young editor having an affair with an esteemed writer and then it goes into Iraq <laughs> and then it's it covers everything. It's really Ooh, good. I'm going to look go out and, for that. Go and, yeah. yeah, I will. Yeah. So I was interested by asking you that question because I wanted to know whether someone like you that has written this sort of beautiful fiction book but it has it in its ways it sort of roots in a, in a non-fiction story, in a, in a mythology of us all. I wanted to know whether or not you read fiction or non-fiction more. Oh, definitely fiction. Yeah, right. Yeah, much more. I'd say like 95% of what I read is fiction actually. Yeah, yeah gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested in that. I, I really thought that that would be a, a, an equal split mm. because I guess because you, it seems to me that your book has so much uh, research that would have gone into it to have 
you know, created oh, that's this. interesting ev- because, yeah. do you know, as somebody asked me to, if I, a person much younger than I am, asked if I, it was uh, historical fiction because oh. it was set in 1992. Yeah, and right. I had to point out to this poor person, that <laughs> I was there. I remember 1992. <laughs> uh, so I didn't have to do a whole lot of research into, you know, like, Game Boys and they're talking about the lyrics from Beetlejuice yeah. and all those sorts of things. I was there first time around. <laughs> Didn't need to go to the library for that look, one. <laughs> look, I, re- I, you know, I lived 1992 well and I had a terrific time that particular year and I, think, you I think that you got it <laughs> spot on actually. Oh, right down to the ice creams. Good. Oh, yeah, that's important, isn't it? it really the Buffalo is. Bills. Yeah. yeah. I love those yeah. Buffalo Bills. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Okay, so I think that that's all that we've got time for because we can't talk too much about your book because I want people to go out there and read it. It seems to me like it's the perfect book that you would discuss in a book group. It's one of uh, those books that that create a sense of what Australia is uh, for all its uh, for all its sadness and for its secrets. There is some joy in this book too. And oh, the, yeah. And the joy is about a family that has stuck together. Uh, Tika's family are warm. She's got a terrific relationship with her sister uh, in that way that older sisters and younger sisters do. And, uh, look, I really I really fell in love with your novel and I, I oh, can't recommend it thank you. It I'm so glad you did. Uh, look, I really am too. It's just beautifully paced. Congratulations to thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. Uh, my name is Chris Gordon and I have been fortunate enough to be in the same room as author extraordinaire, uh, past publicist, past journalist, <laughs> past ghostwriter. everything. <laughs> I am 110. <laughs> Looking good, my friends. Looking good. Uh, listening to Felicity McLean discuss her amazing new book, The Van Apfel Girls Have Gone. Now, what, did I say that right? Yes, uh, yeah. I got. Yes. yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah, perfect. You can stream previous episodes of the Readings Podcast on our website, readings.com.au, where you'll find news, reviews, and interviews and information on our current book, music, and DVD releases. You can even sign up to our newsletter, The Readings Monthly. Thank you to Tom for recording this session and a special mention to that very same person, Tom Hoskins, for the fab introductory tune. This podcast has been recorded in Mark Rubo's office at Readings Headquarters. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me in today. 